I am Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. I asked Michael Harris to join me once again on the show. Michael, as you may remember, is a public defender in the state of Texas. He was the Libertarian candidate for Attorney General in 2018, and he studied under Murray Rothbard. I wanted Michael to come on and talk to us about the Texas v. Pennsylvania case and the legal troubles of Ken Paxton and, you know, possible reasons why he would have filed these cases knowing that there was little to nothing there. Michael was gracious with his time and he wanted me to make sure y'all know and I think he states it in the interview as well that he was um, an opponent of Ken Paxton in 2018 and uh, so if you think that colors his view then you're allowed to think that colors his view but I know Michael to be an honest man and I thought it would be an interesting conversation it was Monday and like all Mondays it came with a slew of problems so there are some technical difficulties, some sound issues, all sorts of different shit going on, and um, the interview ends pretty abruptly at the end, but I think there is enough here where you get the idea. So, without further ado. All right, Michael, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good, doing good. It's 2020, and as R.E.M. said, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a wild year. So we wanted to talk about these, um, this Texas Supreme Court case against Pennsylvania, and we wanted to talk a little bit about Ken Paxton, but I want to start off with that Supreme Court case. And uh, you had you had posted whenever it came up you had posted on facebook like please tell me y'all see the con in this and so what what were you what were you alluding to in there well first of all i think your listeners are entitled to know that i ran against texas attorney general ken paxton as a libertarian candidate in 2018 and uh so before they listen and decide how much uh I have an extremely low opinion of the current Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. I mean, he's under indictment, for Christ's sakes, in Collin County, Texas, which, for those people who don't know, Collin County is an affluent suburb north of Dallas. And before he became the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton was a, uh, and this is public record by the way it's in the indictment he was uh he was a, he is a lawyer and he was representing people as a company called uh spelled s-e-r-v-e-r-g-y servigy i guess it's pronounced that uh, he was part ken paxton was part of an investment group and he was telling his investment group hey y'all really need to invest in this company it's a great company it's wonderful and all that well, he didn't tell the people, it's kind of like, he was working for the company and he did not disclose the fact that he was really encouraging all these people to invest in this company that he worked for. And so 
they filed uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission complaint as well as an indictment in Collin County for a felony offense. And uh, I, I, I had a real problem with the fact that the Attorney General, who's supposed to be the top law enforcement per person in the state of Texas, is behaving this way. So I reached out to some of my contacts. I was involved in uh, local Republican Party politics in Kaufman County, which is southeast of Dallas. And I'm like, hey, who's going to run against Ken Paxton? And I was told nobody that the word had came down from the Republican Party of Texas that basically it was going to be political suicide to run against Ken Paxton. And I'm like, you people have got to be kidding me, right? And I'm like, nope, nope. So I had a friend of mine who was involved in the Libertarian Party, and I was like, you know, hey, it's really a shame you Libertarians can't come up with a legitimate candidate to run against this guy. And he looked at me and it's kind of like, Michael, you're the best libertarian lawyer that we know, so if you're not willing to step up and do it, you really have no right to complain. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I I stepped up and uh, ran against Ken Paxton as a libertarian candidate. I got 2% of the vote. A lot of my, uh, a lot of Republicans told me, you know, Michael, we could not say so publicly, but just so you'll know privately, when we got in the voting booth, we voted for you instead of Ken Paxton. So he's, he's, he's a real con artist. I don't mind saying that. Yeah. But uh, like I said, your your listeners can decide whether they want to listen to me or not. But yeah, I, I think he's a con artist. Uh, also worth pointing out that. When he first uh, got into uh, running for public office in 2003, like everybody else, he's required to disclose all his financial holdings and assets. He and his wife claimed assets in 2003 of $30,000. Eleven years later in 2014, Ken and Angela Paxton disclosed that they co-owned 28 companies worth three million dollars in asset he didn't make three million dollars off the attorney general's salary okay right uh nobody's ever told me how ken and angela paxton managed to acquire three million dollars in 11 years so something's going on there right now uh most recently the fbi subpoena really was not directly that we can prove related to the uh, lawsuit that was filed, uh, Texas versus Pennsylvania. Oh, by the way, it was Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Yes. For some reason, they only listed as Pennsylvania. Yeah, I thought that was weird myself. Well, I think that's because Pennsylvania was uh, the main one that, you know, if he didn't flip Pennsylvania, he didn't have a chance anyway. So I think that's kind of like that, why they chose to make the name Pennsylvania. But, uh, yeah, it's like those particular four states listed in the lawsuit. But uh, Ken Paxton was having uh, ethical problems before this. Here about six months ago, uh, people within his office have, uh, op- openly accused him of giving preferential treatment to one of his campaign donors uh, as far as like regarding the sale of property. I'm not clear on all the details about that, but there was an FBI investigation involved in that before this Mm. lawsuit came down. Right. 
And my understanding is, is that uh, they were investigating somebody for security fraud, big surprise. And uh, when they uh, did their investigation, that's when they found out, like, hey, this guy gave a lot of money to Kim Paxton. And so that had triggered that. But, uh, yeah, so there is an FBI subpoena related to Ken Paxton. I have not read that subpoena, so I don't know what all they're after or looking into. Mm. But this guy's just a shady character. And uh, what's kind of sad and ironic is, you know, the state of Texas, we've gotten used to attorney generals that uh, were the worst state Supreme Court justices that then became attorney generals and then went to a higher office. I mean, first John Cornyn mm-hmm. was state Supreme Court justice who became Texas attorney general and then became senator of the United States. And then uh, Greg Abbott, state Supreme Court justice, took John Cornyn's place as a, a state attorney general, of course, now with the governor. So... It was kind of odd to begin with that Ken Paxson just suddenly just showed up. But uh, he just really seems to have a talent for turning on the Tea Party crowd, telling them what they want to hear. And uh, I hope it eventually catches up to him. Yeah, and, you know, like, as, as somebody who's libertarian, I, I, had, I had kind of flirted with the Tea Party at one point in time and there was really nothing about them that I didn't like other than I don't I just didn't it wasn't really my crowd it was a lot of boomers a lot of older people it really wasn't you know anything that I found attractive to me so I it I went to like I think I went to one or two meetings and then I was just like oh, okay yeah this isn't my deal so I just yeah I just kind of walked away from it and didn't really pay much attention to it and uh it 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 makes me wonder because i've always i kind of look at like greg abbott you know he's he's okay on some things he's pretty good on uh you know property and property rights and, and things like that he's he he gives lip service to you know cutting property taxes but it never it never accumulates to the extent that he goes out there and says it will um he's he's made comments before in the past that you're gonna um he's gonna you're not renting your property from the government and therefore the property taxes should be as low as possible which you know that's that sounds good but I've never really paid any attention to Ken Paxton. I don't really know anything about him. Um, it, it's just, I don't know. He, he never crossed my radar as anything outstanding. I haven't seen seen him um, as far as the way he's carrying out laws and and using his position um, and it, for, for the public, at least. It's never appeared to me that he was abusive in the legal structure um and so i i guess i've just never really paid much attention to him but i i am aware and like you kind of raised my haunches on this is every time that you came on the podcast you would mention ken paxton and you know you would just kind of give a plat a, a glancing blow like he you know it's 
it's kind of weird being an attorney general when you're, you know, under, you know, investigation yourself. And, and I kind of like, oh, okay. It's not just an investigation. He has been fully indicted. There is a formal felony charge against him. Now, he used his uh, connections in Collin County to uh, basically it's kind of like, hey, they had to appoint a special prosecutor, and then they just refused to pay the special prosecutors. Uh So it's kind of special prosecutors like, hey, we can't move forward on this case until you pay us. Now, initially, there was a uh, securities and exchange complaint filed. And so the county commissioners in Collin County is kind of like, hey, we want to see what happens on this uh, securities and exchange commission complaint before we fund this uh, special prosecutor's office. Well, the SEC gave them a pass. Why? I have no idea. But they did. But yet the uh, county commissioners in Collin County, they're still refusing to fund the special prosecutors. So basically it's kind of like, hey, y'all are, are using his, his political cronies are, are gaming the system to basically undermine his prosecution. And I also should point out that I, I have very good contacts in, Coll- in Kaufman County, Texas. And after I ran two, pe- two of the top prosecutors in the Kaufman County District Attorney's Office came to me he said, you know, Michael, we really didn't want to say anything during the election. However, Ken Paxton also did that to somebody in Kaufman County, too. And we very, very, very seriously thought about indicting him in Kaufman County for the same crime. And they told me the reason why they did not do that was because, you know, in 2013, Kaufman County got a lot of notoriety because of a series of murders that took place, mm. high-profile murders, which I could spend an hour talking about the 2013 Kaufman County murders, and they just felt like, we just felt like we could not put Kaufman County through another high-profile prosecution like that. So that's the reason why Kaufman County decided not to pursue the case right. against Ken Paxton. And uh, another really odd incident that will give you some idea of the type of guy you're dealing with is that, uh, and this is on videotape, this is absolutely classic, that Ken Paxton was behind another attorney going into the Collin County Courthouse at the uh, metal detectors, and this attorney in front of him pulls out all his, like, metal items, and he had, like, a like a $1,000 writing pen like a really 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 expensive writing pen and he puts it to go through the metal detectors and then he goes out and and that attorney in front of Kim Paxton forgets about it and and leaves it at the metal detector just purely by accident Ken Paxton sees this thousand dollar pen and he reaches over and grabs it and runs off with it and he's on videotape you can you can go on YouTube and see and do it I mean, and uh, that attorney came back to the uh, to the bailiffs at the courthouse and kind of like, uh, do you know what happened to my pen that I had? Go, yeah, we do. <laughs> but I mean, you can go on YouTube and type in Ken Paxton steal thousand dollar pen and see it. Yeah, that's that's the type of guy we're dealing with here. Yeah, and, and well, and so that's why there were so many questions, uh, and I, you know, about what this lawsuit was all about, and I. I 
I heard several people, I think CNN, I think I read an article that was from CNN where they were accusing him of angling to get a pardon from Trump and that he never believed that uh, filing this lawsuit was ever going to go anywhere, that this was just him placating Trump in order to get his legal issues taken care of. I, I, have, I have trouble, you know, assigning intent to anybody without any evidence of, of, of the sort. Um, I haven't heard him say anything about being pardoned. I know when he was on, he was on the Glenn Beck uh, program the other day, and Glenn Beck asked him about um, the the uh, the cases that were surrounding him, and he did a brilliant job of, you know, kind of parrying the blow and and changing the subject altogether, basically saying. Um, these these liberal Democrats can attack me all they want, it, but I'm fighting for justice and what's right, and that's what this lawsuit's about, you know. So he didn't, you know, he didn't really address the the problems or, or the the legal challenges surrounding him. So yeah, but there's absolute reason to believe that he this whole filing of this lawsuit was a was a big scam up on, on his part, and it was never he never believed it was going to go anywhere well first of all when it comes to pardons the president of the united states has unlimited power to pardon people for federal crimes the president of the united states has absolutely no power to pardon somebody for state offenses so even if donald trump does issue a pardon for ken paxton uh for what's going on with the fbi investigation the uh, special <coughs> prosecutor can still move forward on the Texas case. So let's, let's get that up front. Right. Uh, also, as far as this lawsuit, now, yeah, I heard Ken Paxson talk about he, you know, he was only interested in integrity, and it's kind of like, you know, that's a bunch of bull. All right? He don't care anything <laughs> about integrity. But uh, I, I was initially right off the bat just kind of like, this is just makes no sense at all kind of like why why is they even why does donald trump even want to do it this way because he i mean we're talking like first year law school you have to have standing to file a lawsuit and it's kind of like how on earth can he claim that the state of texas has standing to challenge the legitimacy of uh the way other states run their elections because the Constitution's pretty straightforward in saying that, you know, states, you know, one state doesn't have a right to tell another state how to run their elections. But then I got started investigating a little bit and doing some research, and I think the reason why they did it this way procedurally was to bypass the state courts and the lower federal courts because it's a long-standing tradition that the U.S. Supreme Court has original jurisdiction in disputes between states. Right. So I believe that basically somebody in the Trump world got Ken Paxton to file this lawsuit on behalf of the state of Texas challenging these four states, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, in order to get it directly in front of the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction to hear controversies between states. Okay. 
yeah, that, that okay. would make sense of why they would do it that way. Yeah, okay, so I had a couple of thoughts on this, and I'm, I'm not an attorney, obviously, so you, you can correct me if I'm wrong in any way. Um, the, I've, uh, the, the argument I heard put forward as to why the states were, or the state of Texas filed a lawsuit against Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Michigan was because it had nothing to do with Donald Trump. It had more to do with Mike Pence and and being um, the you know the head of the Senate, and so being that tie-breaking vote with the with the way that the uh, that the Senate is lining up right now and the the potential of losing the Senate seats in Georgia. So they were they were interested in having that tiebreaker in the Senate more than they were interested in having Trump as president. And so from what I understand this their argument for standing was that it was going to negatively affect their their uh, this the senators that Texas has in in the United States uh, Senate. And therefore, Texas has the standing that their voters and their senators are being negatively affected by an election whose rules were changed in an unconstitutional manner. And so that brings you down to the um, the lawsuit in, in Pennsylvania that was filed by, um, by Kelly. I can't remember his first name. Uh, it's some, Mike Kelly, I think it is, was his name. And he actually won um, uh, a, a seat in the House of Representatives. And uh, he filed a lawsuit against Pennsylvania saying that the, the laws for mail-in voting, the change of law was unconstitutional because it did, because they didn't amend the constitution and their their laws specifically say that you can have um absentee balloting but it's only by request that there is no universal mail-in voting and that so they had to go out of the way and and expand the laws in an unconstitutional way in and this was in 2019 so this was even before covid so this was the argument put forward that the law was changed unconstitutionally, and when it was brought to their attention um, after the election, that's when they filed the lawsuit. And it appeared that Texas was playing off of the lower court's finding that on its merit, they had a case. But when they went up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court kicked them out and said, no, you filed the lawsuit too late. So I think that's what Texas was trying to follow up on, and they were trying to use the Senate as their standing. I don't. Apparently, there was they really didn't have any ground to stand on, but that's that was kind of the angle. It, it appeared they were kind of trying to maneuver that in in such a way. Well, basically, the uh, the lawsuit. I, I read the motion, by the way. I, I read the pleadings, okay. and it talked about that. Uh, that the fraud in the other states diluted their votes of oh. their citizens. 
And uh, I mean, first of all, I don't know anything about the election laws in Pennsylvania, by the way. It's not my right. <laughs> not licensed or anything about that. Uh, so whether there was or was not fraud in Pennsylvania, I, I remember very, very well first year law school, one of my professors, when he would talk about uh, you know, when you made a, a factual argument and he says the best the best response you can possibly have, I'm gonna give you the best response. He pulled out his chalk and he wrote about three foot letters on the chalkboard, so what? Right. Uh, so <laughs> basically it's kind of like, you know basically the Supreme Court in a uh, basically a two sentence opinion basically told Ken Paxton, so what? I mean, even if even if everything you say is absolutely true of what went on in these four states, so what? You don't have legal standing to challenge that this whole thing about uh, your your votes were diluted. Uh, and you know, like I said, I, I read the pleadings, and to me, it just it just was odd because it's kind of like they said well you know we can't detect the fraud because the fraudulent actions of these officials effectively destroy the evidence so basically but we just believe there was fraud anyway yeah well no you have to have evidence i mean i know something about criminal law attorney general ken taxon i can tell you that before you have somebody arrested it's you know, supposed to be filing of a probable cause affidavit where somebody actually puts their name on the affidavit and swears under possible penalty of perjury. It's kind of like, hey, here, these are the facts that we're basing this arrest on. So I don't see how you can just say that, well, we, we believe there was fraud, yet the actions of these specials effectively destroyed it, so we can't prove it. <laughs> you know, that, that to me that doesn't that just doesn't even pass the smell test in my book. Yeah, and uh, you know this this election was e- extremely strange in, in in all honesty, and I could I there are so many anomal- anomalies and irregular irregularities going on around this election that I understand why people believe there was fraud. I mean, even it, just on its face, if it, it, it get rid of everything else. The fact that at 10.30 at night, four, the four battleground states all suddenly said, okay, we're going to stop counting votes. All of them said, it was almost at the exact same time. I remember seeing it, that when they did it, and I'm like, what? When is, what is this? This is weird. And I was like, okay, they're going to stop counting votes. And then everybody was like, okay, they stopped counting votes. They went to sleep. And then they woke up at six o'clock the next morning, and all the vote vote totals had changed. So it was really strange in just the presentation, whether there was fraud or not. There was a there was a lot of strange activity going on, for whatever reason. Whether it was the the whole mail in uh, mail in voting thing caused all kinds of um, problems and issues that they didn't foresee, or whatever it was. It was a it was an odd election, so I do understand people that say that. But yeah, you're you can't just assert something without proof, without evidence. If you ask me in my gut, do I think that there was some shady shit going on around this election? I say, yeah, probably. I don't know how much. I don't know it to what extent, 
But yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I, I heard people, Democrats and, and leftists saying, we have to win this election by any means necessary. Because Donald Trump is so horrible, cheating and this and that and the other, violence and, you know, rioting and looting, all this is on the table because Donald Trump is that bad and we have to get rid of him. So are there some people that believe that, that took that forward, you know, and made those steps? Probably at some point, but I don't know it to what, to what level, to what extent that occurred. And so all these assertions with no evidence... It, it, and, and then gathering that type of evidence, the type of evidence that you're trying to assert happened, is going to take months, if not years. You're not just going to come out like a week later and be like, yeah, okay, we, there's all this election fraud and we know it for a fact. It's just not, that's just not the way accumulating evidence works. So even every time I see one of these stories and I'm following, you know, the stories that are coming out around this stuff. Even when I see them, I'm just kind of like, okay, well, you're making a lot of baseless claims, and that that's just not going to fly. And that's the reason why I, I believe that they did this lawsuit by the state of Texas to uh, sue these four states, specifically because that would make it a controversy between the states, quote unquote, to put it originally <laughs> in the Supreme Court. And uh, now, as far as the election itself, I mean, for whatever it's worth, I, I wrote Justin Amash for president, okay? So it's not like I have any great, <laughs> yeah. you know. I didn't vote. I have no dog in the fight. Or Trump. Yeah. But, I mean, to me, the big thing was is that uh, Texas, in particular, they had it where they could count the mail in because I voted early. Mm -hmm. And so in the state of Texas, they were able to count the early votes and the mail-in votes before the day of the election so there wasn't a, they didn't have a problem counting votes on the actual day of election whereas my understanding is in pennsylvania wisconsin michigan and georgia a, a big problem part of the problem that the delays was they had it in the, the state law that they could not start counting the early vote and absentee vote till the actual day of election so there was a big uh, delay, and that's that's what I'm told. As far as that's what reason what led to the big delay in the voting is in the various states where they couldn't start counting the vote until the actual election day. And I think that would make sense. Now, were there like okay? I was just saying that uh, I don't know if you heard, but judges hate overturning election. That's kind of like totally not what they want to do. Most judges, they want to be like Solomon in the Old Testament. They want to split the baby. They want to make both sides equally miserable. And so, like I said, judges really hate to overturn elections unless they pretty much have absolutely no option but to do it. So it doesn't surprise me that even the three justices that Donald Trump appointed to the bench his own nominee the case. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't know. I. You have to... You know, the voting is such a democracy in voting. It's become such a 
sacred cow, such a, you know, kind of golden calf of, of most citizens and, and what they're looking for in the, in, in, in the country. And they, they look at it almost as virtuous. It, you have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, like relentless amounts of evidence. I mean, you're just going to have to overdo the evidentiary burden and and it just I never I didn't foresee that happening number 1 number 2 I don't think there's anything you could have done to get both sides to agree on this this election I I just think that the division in this country is just so far beyond gone it, it's it's there's no getting these people to see the same reality and the, yes. the judges yeah. would have been seen as as taking either they're they're either going to be pawns to donald trump or they're going to be pawns to the deep state and that's the way these two sides were going to see it no matter what and i don't i don't think that i think the judges were it was a lose-lose for them no matter what Oh yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, judges are used to kind of like everybody can't win here, and uh, as, as one judge I, told me, the only time he sees everybody leave happy is weddings and adoptions. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so it's just kind of like you know, if you come, you become a judge, just accept the fact that uh, the only time everybody's going to leave happily is when there's a wedding or an adoption. Okay, so it's just the way it is. And uh, so, yeah, the judges did not want to get involved in the election at all. And I think they've gone out of their way not to get involved in the election. And this uh, stunt by Ken Paxson, kind of like one, one uh, commentator said that it was a press release masquerading as a lawsuit. Because I don't know if you had a chance to read the pleadings. It was just the whole lot of there's just a whole lot of people felt just felt like there was fraud yeah and he goes this kind of like statistical thing that made absolutely no sense to me at all it's kind of like you know the probability of this happening was like, like one in 200 trillion or something like that that and I'm kind of like why did you waste Texas taxpayer money on this <laughs> you know? so, yeah. So that, uh, like I said, I was I was really kind of like scratching my head of you know why on earth they just as a legal procedure did it this way. Until I snapped on the fact that it was a uh, it was it was a means to hopefully get the the argument directly in front of the Supreme Court, and I think they were hoping that uh, the three justices that Trump appointed. Plus, at least one more would say, like, "Okay," because they were they were hoping. Because you know, Thomas and Alito, they they those two justices said, "Well, you know, we should get, consider the evidence. We're not saying the arguments are valid, but uh, you know, we should at least consider it." The are you know the arguments they made. The other Supreme Court justices said, "No, we're just not even going to consider it." Right. So I think their original hope was they figured that the three. Uh, justices appointed by Trump plus Thomas plus Alito, who 
it was kind of like a Hail Mary pass to try to try to get the election overturned that way. And I think it was a desperation move from the start. And uh, I, I believe Ken Paxton's got some kind of angle because kind of like if you think that Ken Paxton was doing this in the name of uh, integrity, all I can say is don't don't take any stock advice from him, okay? So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I can see that. I mean, I can see, you know, and that's one thing. Like, you had these, uh, what, 126, you know, representatives, uh, the House of Representatives or whatever, that signed on with this lawsuit. You had 18 uh, attorneys general get involved in, in one way, shape, or form, at least, like, co-signing on it, saying, yeah, we agree with Texas in this, and yada, yada, yada. A lot of that is political posturing. They want these Trump supporters. A lot of these Trump supporters were not politically active before Donald Trump. They didn't think that the system was working for them. Well, they they have they are looking at this as a potential way to keep these, you know, you know, typically non-political Trump supporters, you know, active in politics in their region or for their preferred races. And so that's got to be part of it. Some of it is a political oh, calculation. Exactly what it is that uh, I mean, I, I grew up in East Texas. I'm a carpenter's son, and Donald Trump has some kind of incredible appeal to white, rural, working class people. Damned if I can understand what it is, but I mean, that's he he can totally energize that group of people, and they see that. And it's kind of like they, they're afraid, they want his voters, they don't want him. I think that's the bottom line. And uh, so, yeah, they, they want to do whatever they can to keep Donald Trump's voters, to not alienate his voters. But I, I think privately they'll tell you that they really don't like Donald Trump, don't respect Donald Trump, but kind of like they, they, they want his voters. So, yeah, I think that's what this is about. Because kind of like a lot of these congressmen that signed on to, you know, intervene along with uh, Texas Attorney General, they, they came from elections in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia. So it's kind of like, oh, so you're saying that the election that you just won that puts you in, in Congress, you're signing on saying that that election was fraudulent? Really? Like, what's wrong with this picture? So, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is partisan politics, pandering to the political, uh, the tribes, the tribalism. It's, it's, a lot of it is pandering to the red tribe, as I call it. Yeah, I mean, and well, I don't know. I, see, because, I mean, I guess you could call it the red tribe, but Trump supporters are, are different than you know, the GOP or Republicans. Like, they really are. They're not conservatives by any stretch of the imagination or uh, for the majority, the majority of them aren't. They're they're just populists. They're just people that really felt like this system um, didn't didn't work for them. And Donald Trump came, came through, and I think this is what a lot of people miss. Donald Trump came through and said, look, I know these people back behind the scenes. 
and what they're doing and how they're propping up you know corporations and they're just they're giving all their cronies and their lobbyists you know backroom deals and they're they're sending your jobs overseas to make them millions and millions of dollars while you're sitting here struggling at home and i i'm not going to put up with that shit we're not going to do that on my watch that's not the way we're going to operate we're going to operate i'm going to be i'm going to be governing for you and not for the the billionaires and the crony elites and i think that's what a lot of these carpenters and blue collar guys see in Donald Trump. It felt like, whether true or not, it felt like a guy that was at least trying to say, "Look, they've they've done forgot, you know, the motor that makes this engine roar here in the United States, and they've they've found that using cheap labor labor overseas makes them more money, but they forget that y'all are the ones that that make the country work, and they all make the country operate." And it, without you, then there's going to be, you know, um, a lot, a lot of hard times for them in the future. So I'm going to give you back the power, and I think that's what a lot of people saw in Donald Trump. No matter how realistic that idea was, no matter how economically unsound it was, that was what they, that's what they heard. They heard a guy that say, said, "I'm here for you. I'm not here for." the 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 big tycoons and lobbyists and they hated hillary clinton i mean let's let's be real the 2016 presidential election i think it wasn't so much the fact that donald trump won as it was hillary clinton lost because it's kind of kind of like i heard on scott horton interview somebody said you know what's the one thing that uh, the anti-war progressives libertarians and evangelical christians have in common they all hate hillary clinton yeah i mean so yeah i, I think there was definitely a you know kind of like i, I call her trigger happy hillary it was a lot of blowback that they uh, a lot of people uh, and i do believe that kind of the the two-party system wanted it to be Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton, and I, I've heard reports that it was actually Bill and Hillary Clinton that played a major role in pushing Donald Trump to run for the Republican nomination, figuring that Hillary would have no trouble beating Donald Trump. It'd be a lot easier for Hillary to beat Donald Trump than to beat Jeb Bush. Right. Well, it's kind of like be careful what you ask for, buddy. You just got it. Okay. So yeah. So yeah, I think. 2016 was a rejection of Hillary Clinton, and I can definitely understand that. Yeah, that could definitely be part of it. But I, I think, I mean, look at how he, look at how the crowds he he attracted in these arenas. I mean, there was there was something there about Donald Trump that attracted, you know, that these people loved, and I, I really believe it was the fact that he was pointing out, you know, the cronyism and, and how the establishment operates. And then, I mean, you got to also think, you know, you had this. You had this like most popular president ever in the history of the United States and Barack Obama who had come out and, and basically said that these people were, you know, bitter clingers, clinging to their guns and their religion. You know, it was like basically talking shit to all these people. And, you know, Donald Trump was like a middle finger to these guys, you know? Yeah, oh, they're, they're definitely, you know, like I, I can understand why a lot of people felt like the system did not work for them anymore that the uh the, the corporate cronies of, of the of both parties did not represent uh, the common ordinary working people right and uh, and I, I think there is a pretty sharp 
rural versus urban divide. And I, I think it's really is the Democrats have got a lot of problems that mm. they need to address. And I, I think they pretty much united by the fact that they all hated Donald Trump with a purple passion. But now that they're getting Donald Trump out of the picture, I suspect that the Democrats are going to start a lot of infighting amongst themselves. So Yeah, yeah I agree I with that. Joe Biden, but I have a feeling he's about to find that uh, he's not going to be able to keep the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez crowd in line very much longer. Yeah. Well, um, what, do, what do you make about I heard that this Texas lawsuit is going to be uh, like presented to the Supreme Court again in a different way, and that that Texas is going to be signed on to the lawsuit, but they're going to have they're going to be having somebody else um, as the as as the lead plaintiff. What do you make of that? Do you think do you think if they find a way to get the court to say okay, there is standing? Do you think that there's anything in this lawsuit that is going to at least be interesting enough to the Supreme Court justices for them to sit down and look at this case? No, I don't. No. I mean, first of all, obvious plaintiff should be Donald Trump. I mean, he filed a, a, a motion to intervene in Ken Paxton's lawsuit, but uh, I, I think the Supreme Court. I mean, there's obviously they could, there are going to be people in these four states that uh, can claim. I think the Supreme Court is like to keep in mind judges do not want to overturn elections. Right. I mean, let's start there. So the obvious way the Supreme Court is going to avoid it, it's like, well, you know, you need to address those issues with the, the court system in Pennsylvania, the court system in Michigan court system in Georgia and so forth so forth so that's going to be one the, the obvious way that they're going to be getting out of it mm-hmm. and so I think that's going to be their 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 out and so like I says I mean the whole thing of making it a controversy between the states I can I can give you the classic law school example bar exam example if you want me to of, of why that uh, why that's important. I mean, if you don't want me to, I won't go. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I spent some uh, time when I was younger in Nevada, so I, I know about this. But this is a classic bar exam question. When I was out in the state of Nevada, people in California wanted to dump their trash in Nevada because it was cheaper for them because it cost them a lot less money to dump trash in Nevada than the state of California. So the state of Nevada being Nevada and said that, uh, well, you know what? Okay, but you got to pay us more money if you want to come dump your trash over in our state. Well, Californians being Californians is kind of like, oh, that is unfair. That's unjust. You're, you know, you're, you're victimizing us by charging us more money dump trash and people from the state of Nevada. So they took it immediately to, to the Supreme Court because there was this, uh, this controversy between the state of Nevada and the state of California. Mm-hmm. Of whether the state of Nevada could charge California more money than it charged Nevada residents to dump trash. And the Supreme Court said that, well, under equal protection, no, Nevada, you can't charge 
Californians more money for dumping trash than you charge your your residents in California. So California kind of like, yeah, yeah, nana, nana, boo, boo, so forth, so forth. You can't charge us more money. Well, the state of Nevada says, well, fine. Well, now we're just going to ban you from dumping trash altogether. So they passed the laws like, no, you can't dump trash from, you can't transport trash from California to Nevada under any circumstances. And California being California is kind of like, that's unfair, that's unjust, we're going to take you to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, well, actually they can do that (laughs) under health and safety codes. So that's the bar exam question that's going to probably live forever of, uh, you know, kind of like states can't require people to charge, pay more money, but they can totally ban transporting trash. Yeah. So if it's a controversy between two states, uh, another classic example is the, the border between Oklahoma and Texas is the Red River. Right. And like sometime in like, I think it was like the 1940s or 50s or something like that, the, uh, the river, the Red River changed its course. And it, uh, so the controversy was as well, is the border going to continue to be where it was before the river changed course, or is it uh, now where the new river is? Yeah. So basically, the Supreme Court, I think they ruled, is kind of like, nope, the border is, you know, the Red River, and if the Red River changes course, if Texas gains territory, or Oklahoma gains territory because of the river change, tough luck. Yeah. Uh, So... If there's a controversy between states, it goes immediately to the Supreme Court to decide. And I think that's the reason why they filed it this way to, in order to get it directly to the Supreme Court and bypass the state courts and the courts of appeal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't, I, I just, I, I'm curious about, okay, because I know that, they, that the Supreme Court, when ruling on Gore versus Bush, they said that they did not want that to become precedent and they didn't want it to be seen as precedent. But I know, and I know the Texas suit is actually trying to say that it is precedent. And then, but my, my real interest here is the, the, the constitutionality of the, the changing of the laws, you know, and, and the mail-in balloting. And it was done prior to, uh, you know the coronavirus uh, being a thing, it was it was it, the the law was changed in Pennsylvania in October of 2019. So they they can't use coronavirus as the reasoning behind why they changed their mail-in balloting. I would I'm just really curious as to I would love to see whether or not even if they didn't see the case, I would like to see the the justification um, of the people that changed the law in, in knowing that originally they were trying to pass an amendment and then they backed off and decided, no, we're not going to pass an amendment. We're just going to change the law. Well, that, that can tell you that, uh, in Ken Paxton's, uh, pleadings that he filed, I mean, he did go through and talk about how they, it wasn't the state legislatures that made these changes. It was the government you know, and that that was one of his arguments, right? 
And I, I think for the citizens of, of those four states, I think they've got a legitimate reason to say that, hey, you know what, these, these changes that you made to the, uh, the way elections are run was not lawful. I just don't think that the state of Texas has any right to go to other states and say, you know, your elections were unlawful. Right. I, I, I go back to Professor Taubenfeld, so what on the blackboard? <laughs> yeah. Black. But, you know, whether our elections are lawful or unlawful, Texas is really none of your business. Right. Okay. You know, kind of like, like I don't, kind of like Louisiana to come in and tell Texans that they're. Uh, elections are unlawful either, so yeah, uh, that, that's like well, I said. It just it was just a basic. Just don't have the standing to file it, right? Uh, I, I don't supreme see the Supreme Court changing its position. Yeah, no, I, and again, and like you said, they don't. The judges don't want to be in the position of trying to change a, a vote, like or, or an election. That's just they don't want to be the ones deciding an election, and, and so it's got to unless you got a severe amount of of evidence they're not going to do anything well I mean, people keep pointing to bush versus gore i think most people today don't realize there was less than 600 votes yeah in florida that changed right 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 and uh like i said i'm old enough i'm 50, i'm about to turn 56 so i'm old enough to remember that uh, that presidential election pretty well and so yeah i think that was a very very unusual circumstance that it was just so close in that one state yes and most people don't know this today but the 1960 election between john f kennedy and richard nixon largely came down to the state of illinois and the republicans dominated the southern part of illinois and the democrats dominated the northern part of illinois and it's pretty blatantly clear that uh, the people, the political bosses in Chicago just basically stuffed the ballot box enough so that Kennedy won the 1960 election. And yeah. Richard Nixon, his, his response is, I'll be back. <laughs> He's kind of, kind of like, I'm not going to challenge the election because I'm young enough and I'll be back. Yeah. Okay. That was the end of the technical difficulties on uh, for us. That is the abrupt ending I was telling you about. I hope that y'all enjoyed what we got out of that podcast. And uh, I'll have Michael on again, as y'all are fully aware. So, sorry about the technical difficulties once again. But, you know it. I'm Tommy Salmons late.